Hi, Andrew. Welcome to MDASH. Hi, Kim. How are you? Doing great. How are you doing today? I'm so good. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Hi, I'm excited to have you here. So first off, tell me a little bit about yourself and what are some of the words you use to describe yourself in terms of your identities? <laughs> um, a little bit about myself. Where should I start? I guess the words I use to describe myself are queer, cripple. Um, that's how I refer to myself. And I, I use those terms because I like, for two reasons, I like the shock value and I like the reclamation of power with those words. And by me using them, I'm saying, you can't hurt me because I've already reclaimed those words. You can't, none of this hurts. It's okay. So uh, those are, those are some of the words I use to describe myself. I'm also a disability awareness consultant and I'm a crippled content creator. So I also create a cool little podcast around sexuality and disability. And, and what's the name of your podcast? <laughs> My podcast <laughs> is uh, Disability After Dark. In the podcast, I talk pretty heavily around sexuality and disability. And I think right now it's the only podcast available that specifically targets sexuality and disability. So I've listened to some of your podcast and love it. And as best I could tell when I was looking around online, I think it is the only podcast that really, really focuses specifically on sexuality and disability. And it does it in such a nice fresh kind of way and by fresh I don't mean like naughty I mean fresh like sometimes very naughty. Honest. sometimes yeah not. like I'm a fun kind of yeah like good naughty yeah it's a really um approachable kind of feel to it and I know for me as a listener I felt like I really was sitting down in a living room chatting like eating a plate of nachos and hearing about about your perspectives and your experiences that's so literally when I when I started recording when I started doing doing this it was not for myself it was for a little radio station, a little internet radio station in Canada called Voices for Ability. It's, it was a little tiny charity radio station. And they asked me to do their sex and disability kind of beat. And I was like, all right, sure. So I started doing that. And then I realized, wait, I can make money for myself if I turn this into my own podcast and, and kind of move it on my own. So when I started doing it, my whole goal was I didn't want to do a professional-esque type podcast. I mean, it is quasi-professional, but really it's not. I wanted the feel of you're sitting in your living room eating nachos with your friends about sex and disability. That's what I wanted. <laughs> well, you are successful because it definitely feels that way. And I think that there is something really professional about talking about sex and sexuality in a very real way. Because, you know, sometimes people have this idea in their head about what professionalism looks like when you're talking about sex and sexuality. But in order to really talk about it honestly, you have to talk about it in a way that's real and that's gritty. And I loved listening to your episode, My Gimpy Genitals, and hearing you talk about cock and pussy and using words, because those are the words that people use. And I like that you... When I'm, when I'm shacking up with the person and I'm getting down, <laughs> that's the word I use to describe my... Right, right. Like, so I'm not, I love I'm not that. Like, I'm not like... Hey, lover, touch my penis some more. No, <laughs> I'll say, hey, lover, grab my cock and do this to me, please. And that's what I really like about how real it is. For most of the listeners for MDASH, most of them are healthcare professionals. And so as people are interacting with patients, I always want people to think about the, the guests that they heard on this show and remember that 
all the people that they see in their clinical practice, these are real regular people who have lots of different experiences. So I was so excited to hear your podcast and to invite you to be on my podcast because you're just amazing, but also just really accessible. So I'm really excited to, uh, that's enough fangirling for the beginning of the podcast, but I'm just really happy to have you on the show. (laughs) You can never have too much fangirling. Never, never. So talk to me a little bit about how your identities as both a self-described disabled man, queer, cripple, cripple content creator, which by the way, I love the alliteration. Right. It's awesome. I also talk love about the alliteration. How... That's why I chose it. Isn't it great? It's awesome. Um, how have those identities influenced your thoughts and your feelings about healthcare? I feel like healthcare as a disabled man is really hard, really problematic. My views on healthcare over the last couple of years, I've had some interesting health stuff happen. In the last 12 months, my bladder kind of stopped working. Not, not my bladder, but my, the, the, the tubes from my bladder to my junk to go pee stopped working um, because of spasticity as a result of mm. pee. And that was a harrowing experience because I was like, one day I woke up and I was like, okay, I can't pee anymore. That's really, all right, let's, so having to go into the, the, the hospital and say, okay, doctors, I can't pee. What do I do now? The response from the medical professionals, the urologists, and all the people that were looking at me were like, oh, yeah, that's just part of CP. When I first was you know, dealing with it, they put in a Foley catheter into my, into my body, and they were like, okay, we're going to leave this in for what I assumed at the time was a week. It ended up being three months, and I was like, okay. So, And after three months, I was like, I haven't had sex. I haven't touched myself. I haven't looked at my body as something that is valuable in three months because I got this thing sticking out of me and I had to go to the urologist after three months for when he finally when I finally had the appointment and he said to me so I'm looking him in the eye and I said okay I work in sexuality and disability also I'm a person and I'd like my sex life back and he went oh yeah I'm sure you would but I mean the Foley catheter is just easier and I was like okay doctor no this is not what we're gonna do and I fought him on it and said I want you to consider intermittent catheterization, please, because at least then I can have my genitals back relented. And was like, okay, yeah, we can do that too. <laughs> and I was like, well, why wasn't that your first? Like, why didn't you think about that two months ago? Wow. And, and three months is a long time to be that disconnected from a part of your body that yeah. was always a really important part of your body, you know, an important part of your life. Imagine if you weren't someone with CP. And you were a straight married guy who went to the doctor. Do you think the urologist would have had the same lack of, I don't know, awareness or sensitivity around sexuality? Or do you think it would be different? I don't think he would have had a lack of sensitivity. I think when the medical community sees people with disabilities, they they don't quite know how to engage with them. Ironically enough, I went to my doctor recently, two weeks ago, for an STD test, and she was very concerned when I admitted to her that me and me and a, a partner that I was with, uh, that I didn't use protection once, and she was like, oh, I'm very concerned for you, and I was like, okay. So she told me once, and I took it in and said thank you, and she then told me again via email and told me one more time, and I was like, okay, I'm an adult, though. I made that choice. Wow. We can stop 
harping on it. It's okay. Like, I'm an adult. I decided in that moment to not wear a condom. And I made the choice and I'm owning that. Like a lot of people lie, you know, and aren't forthright. So you were willing to share that, you know, and be forthright. It's it's interesting that she was that persistent about reminding you about how important it is to use condoms because it sounds like I mean, you work in sexuality, you understand conceptually this, but you're also a human being that in the heat of the moment may make a, a choice that and, others may not think is the choice they would have made. And I mean, that's what happened. It was in the heat of the moment. And I can't say that it won't happen. Again. Like, I can't honestly say that it won't happen again because I was enjoying myself. And so I think the trouble with the medical community is they want to, we've been taught that people with disabilities, it's so weird. It was such a weird, those two stories are so like dichotomous because one guy didn't care and then my GP cared a little bit too much. And was like very concerned to tell me that like this is what you should do. Um, so I think we have trouble in both those scenarios finding that the disabled person is a person. Mm-hmm. And a person that's an adult. I mean, that's that's the piece that really strikes me about both stories. That even though they're different, like one wasn't caring and one was caring too much. The, the other commonality is that it could be that neither one of you is really treating you or seeing you as an autonomous adult who may choose to be sexual and may be making informed choices. Yeah. So when you think about your experiences with healthcare professionals, when have healthcare professionals done a really good job? Or can you think of a time when they've done a really good job of seeing you as a person and treating you the way that you wish healthcare professionals would treat you all the time? In recent years, I would have to be honest, they haven't done a good job. It's been pretty abysmal. When I enter into an ER and ask for assistance, the doctors don't know what to do. I, when I entered recently with, into the ER with my stuff about my, my bladder and the pee thing, I said to them, do you have a Hoyer lift? And they said, oh, yeah, but that means we have to go to this department and get it and there's so much work. We'll just lift you. And I was like, no, you won't, because I refused that, and they lifted me anyway, because I was like, like, you don't have a choice, because they want to get you in and out fast. So I think the medical community, especially doctors, need to, and nurses, and all the people that that deal with you before you actually sit with the doctor, especially in the emergency rooms or high-traffic hospital settings, there needs to be a much wider discussion with the person about what they what their needs are before you touch them. If you could describe your ideal visit to an emergency room, I mean, obviously an ideal visit would involve you not being sick and needing to be there, yeah. but an ideal visit, what, how would that play out from the time you first present? What would it look like if it were perfect? An ideal visit would be, oh, Andrew, you're a wheelchair user? Great, we have a hospital liaison who's also a wheelchair user who's going to come down and talk to you about what it is you need and that person can be hired by the hospital and part of a team of like disability liaisons so if somebody says i have autism somebody says i have low vision somebody says i have mental health issues you have a designated person with the same issue who's working for the hospital who can say okay you're feeling like this let me liaise with with you and and dr so-and-so to make sure that this this whatever's going to happen now is good and that person could follow the the patient around the hospital for whatever it is they need during that time. 
to make sure they feel supported. That would be amazing. That would be fabulous. I mean, We're so far from that in America never, right that's now. That's never going to happen. I know it in my heart, but it's a dream that I have. Because that would that would solve so many problems with our medical system. First, it would solve crappy patient care when you have a disability. It would employ people with disabilities looking for work, gainfully employ them, like properly employ them, and make sure that they were properly working and feeling good about the work they do. It would also say to the medical community that this is something you have to do. This is like a standard of care that you need to you need to do this. People move in and out of having disabilities, whether they're temporary or permanent. And so it is something that everyone would benefit from at some point in time or another. I always like to ask people about sexual history taking. When you go to either a physician or a nurse practitioner, how often does someone actually take a sexual history from you? And do you think that is driven by the fact of disability, by the fact that you identify as queer, or just by healthcare in general? Until I started actively going to my GP and saying, I want a, I want a STD test, I wasn't really given my sexual history. Like I wasn't really asked about my sexual history until I proactively was like, hey, I'm having more sex now. I should probably, we should probably talk about this. Now, when you think about the worst experience you've had with a healthcare professional, what, what would you say that is? And how do you wish it had been different? My worst experience with a healthcare professional when I was in a hospital with gallbladder disease issues happening. My gallbladder had to come out and it was like infected and things were happening. And they lifted me without my consent. And then the patient manager was like, oh no, that just happens. And I was like, that's not okay. And then I was in the States on vacation with my family at one point. And um, there's two little mini stories. And so then I had to have the gall- my gallbladder out and the doctor was like, okay, we're going to give, we're going to, we're going to take you down for surgery. They put me on the operating table and then the surgeon was like, oh, you're too sick. You can't be down here. You have to go back. Like, had we operated on you, you would have died. When I was getting my gallbladder out finally back in Canada after, after like I flew home sick and then went back to Canada to do it. So I'm in the hospital about to get it out and the anesthesiologist says, can you walk from the gurney <laughs> to the operating table? And I was like, are you, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, did you check your chart? Which, which says... This person is severely disabled and can't. Well, and I'm sure it doesn't fill you with confidence in terms of how informed they are about your needs in general. Yeah. If they've missed kind of the one big, the biggie, the big obvious thing that should be in your chart, which is that you're a wheelchair user, what else didn't they notice? Yeah. What else didn't? Yeah. And so like it should be in my chart that I'm non-ambulatory. I have spastic quadriplegic CP and I will never be able to walk. Like... That should be in bold letters on every on every file everywhere. Um, and how I wish it was different. I just wish that they would use their common sense to talk to me about what my needs are. And that's why I think patient liaisons with similar disabilities to the patients going through every step of everything, liaising with the medical professionals would be really helpful. That's why. So that so that doctor error or doctor like. It's not an error, it's just doctor ignorance wouldn't be a factor here. So you've had the experience of having healthcare both in Canada and the United States. And I'm sure it's not a representative sample. You know, you haven't seen every doctor and every clinician in both countries, but 
any observations in terms of how you as a as a self-identified queer cripple man how you were we treated or your interaction you just said that can we just talk about oh, how is that you, okay no i loved it because you were slightly uncomfortable which is the whole point of why i make <laughs> like i make people say it because they're uncomfortable and it makes you me know what it's funny it, it does make me slightly uncomfortable and here's why so i'm always so careful about um I don't want anyone listening to the show to ever hear me apply a label to someone that they haven't embraced for themselves because it's really important that people choose the words that they um, label themselves. So I don't, I never want someone who's like just, I, not that I would just tune in like at the middle of the interview, but I don't want to have someone hear me calling you queer and cripple and think, oh wow, it must be okay now to call people queer and cripple because. Because it's not, it unless it's a word that someone's embracing for themselves. So yes, I was totally uncomfortable. You read me completely correctly. Um, and I love that you identify as queer and cripple. I think it's awesome. And I think it is a great way to embrace words that do make people uncomfortable. And then make people think about why they're uncomfortable with them. Yeah. And it's kind of like the word queer in general is one of those words that I think within the LGBTQ community, people have re-embraced that word and, and taken it back um, so that the, it so that it diffuses some of the power that people can have in calling any of us in that community queer. It's like, yeah, no, we already we already call ourselves queer. So yeah, like we, we got that. You. We're good. Yeah, we got that. So any differences like in terms of how you felt like your interactions were in America versus Canada with healthcare professionals? America was like, so you're going to pay us? Because I <laughs> didn't have... You just summed time. up American healthcare. <laughs> America wow. was like, America was literally like, where's the money? And Canada's like, oh, you want me to help? Like, let's help you. You're going to be good. I, I remember going into the U.S. hospital. And I was really sick and I was vomiting bile and things were happening to me. And so, like, I walked in the hospital and the very first question before how can we treat you is, how are you paying for this? <laughs> I'm laughing because it's horrible and man, America really makes me so embarrassed sometimes the way that we treat patients and also when folks are from other countries and they see what our healthcare system is like, it's it's embarrassing. You're right. The first question people get asked is how are you going to pay? Yeah, before like, oh, you're dying? Like let let me help <laughs> you with that. Whereas in Canada because it's a uh, because it's um state-funded healthcare, there, there's no question of money. There's like, oh, here's, show me your health card. You have to wait all day, but this thing you're waiting for all day will be free, not to worry. I imagine it changes how you feel about the interaction too, because it does set the tone for what is the most pressing concern of the people caring for you. Yeah, but I think the troubling part between both countries is disability generally is not treated right. Say Dis more about that. Disability is treated as a nuisance on both sides of the border. So if you're disabled and you need something, especially from nursing staff or not necessarily the surgeons, the surgeons are just like, if, if we're talking like surgery, doctors generally are kind of cold and distant in my experience, cold and distant anyway, because they have to be, because that's how they're trained. But when you're dealing with the people you're dealing with day to day, the nurses, the, the the lab technicians, the orderlies, things like that, there's not there's a sense of like, oh, you need this thing, it's gonna ruin my whole day if I have to do that for you. 
what are ways that nurses can demonstrate or show that your disability isn't a big pain in their ass, basically? Like, what's a way that they can demonstrate or show you the opposite of what your experience has been? Just try a little harder. I'm not saying you can't be tired. I'm not saying it isn't hard to be to be a medical professional in those settings, dealing with people day in and day out. I'm not saying that's not hard, but I'm also saying, like, if I'm telling you I'm having a disability moment or if I'm telling you specifically I need something because I know how my body works and you're not responding, that's a problem. Like, you just li- like listen more to what I'm telling you because as a disabled person, I am a medical professional in terms of, like, my body, what, knowing what my body needs because so many actual qualified medical practitioners, whether it be a nurse or a doctor, have no idea how to handle disability where... If you would listen to me for like three seconds, I can tell you pretty much what I think I need. Are there times where you've really felt seen by healthcare professionals, like where they really get you? No, no, never. And that's why so many of us and me, particularly like when I went recently to get an STD test, I hate going in there because it's like, what are you going to, how are you going to not be able to treat me? And so with this with my GP, she's great, and I respect her. But she, even she's done stuff that I was like, nah, okay, no. For instance, I was in the office for that STD test, and she said to me, "Do you think we need a rectal swab for you?" And I said, "Probably not this time." But eventually, she was like, "Oh, okay, because if we needed a rectal swab, it would be a lot of work to get that from you because we'd have to transfer you and get you into a bed and blah blah." And I was like, "Uh huh." And so when that happens, what are you gonna do? It sounds like her focus is wow, if that's going to be involve all these steps that really are a hassle for her, not thinking about the fact that it's also invasive for you. You should be the center of the concern. I mean, not that I want to be a, a, a dirty, dirty podcast guest, but I'm okay. <laughs> I'm okay with things going in there. Like, that won't bother me. Been... I love how vague you're being. Like you're being, it's, it's actually kind of awesome and it's making me smile just like when you were smiling, when I was uncomfortable saying queer cripple, I'm loving how big when you're like, I'm okay with things going in there. And when we do that, so I just want to say like, I, you just made me smile. I'm vague just, booking for a reason here. Um, exactly. You're trying not to be that dirty, dirty podcast guest, which I love. But here's the other thing that's awesome about, and one of the reasons why I was so excited to have you on the show. People need to realize that persons with disabilities they are just like everybody else in terms of sex and sexuality, interests. I might stop you, though. I, I'm, I have to disagree a little bit, though. I take issue when people say, disability is just like everything else. It's really not. It really isn't. It's really different than that. And I, I just, t- especially when we talk about sex and disability, it's not the same. It's never going to be the same because there's so many layers of stuff that we as disabled people when engaging in sex or body image stuff or any of that stuff there's so many different things we have to contend with i agree that the desire is the same i would i would counter that and say no it isn't because sometimes the desire is and the want for sexuality to be expressed is that much stronger because it's been so denied Mm -hmm. that's a good point my intention was thinking about, oh, well, you know, there's such a wide spectrum of, of people's beliefs and desires and interests. But you are right. Also, from the logistical side, 
it can be just different. And if someone needs a care aid to provide assistance or chooses to hire a surrogate or work with a sex worker, or there may be different things that would end up being important or necessary for a person with a disability that may not even be on the radar of someone without a disability. So I'm glad you disagreed with me. It's part of what I love about the podcast is meeting people who've had different experiences and then learning about what those experiences are. And I can't possibly know what those experiences are myself. The reason why I was so quick to kind of call you in, and I, I say call you in because I think call out is weird and I don't know. But like, <laughs> um, I so like the, that, the call you in instead of call you out. I like yeah, that. The reason why I wanted to call you in and bring you into the discussion about that was because so many other disabled people have said, I'm just like everybody else. I have also said, I'm just like everybody else. In as I was as I've been navigating this kind of quasi-professional disabled person thing that I'm doing, and as the more and more I do it, I realize that I'm not like everybody else, and that's okay. For any of us who are within a community, when you cross over into that line of professionally navigating things, you start seeing the messaging differently. The trouble I find with my work is that they're so enmeshed, they're so enmeshed, um, and so. Today on my Facebook feed, I put that I wanted to do porn, and I stopped and I thought about what I put. I just said, confession, guys, I kind of want to be in porn, and I put it out there, and I just let it sit there, and people responded right away. Some were like, ooh, great. Others were like, just be careful, you're going to be fetishized almost immediately, and then I was like, but then I thought about it and thought, is this my personal politic? Do I really want to do this? And I thought, yeah, because... I want to be able to, like, part of what I love about porn and the, the possibility of having somebody like me in a porn is, A, I love sex, even if it's hard work. And, like, I, I have friends in the porn industry, so I know I've heard the ins and outs. No pun intended. <laughs> no pun intended. Yeah, the ins and outs of, like, working in the industry. It's hard work, I re and I respect that. But I also think that because I've been denied so much access to my body and someone else's body, I would love to just go to an event and my my whole day would be, okay, I'm going to have sex with these five people. Let's have fun with that. Like there's something really kind of fantastical about that because that's something that would never happen for me as a disabled man. So that's really, it's really cool though, that it's, a liberating kind of possibility. And, you know, uh, to the point of your friends who've said, oh, you're just going to get fetishized. Isn't everyone that's in porn ultimately in some way fetishized by the people who get off watching it? And is that bad? Right. If you choose to be fetishized, is that a bad thing? And I was, I've been thinking about that today because somebody put that on my Facebook wall after I put the comment out. And my first very first thought was. Aren't I fetishizing myself already? I'm commodifying myself as a disabled speaker. People are hiring me to go and teach them, have a teachable moment around sexuality and disability so that I can bring it to light for them. Aren't I already kind of doing the same thing? You are a capable, competent, intelligent adult. You can make choices. And so if you want to do porn, you know, the reasons why you wouldn't or shouldn't choose to do porn are only reasons that you could come up with yourself for why it may not be good for you. It shouldn't be reasons that other people are giving you. And I think that that's true for anyone choosing a career in the sex industry is really the only person who can navigate whether it's the right choice for them is that individual. And I think, you know, when we think about healthcare professionals, 
and their interactions with folks uh, who are either sexually active with multiple partners or are working in the sex industry or are choosing to be non-monogamous, it can be tough sometimes for healthcare professionals to wrap their brain around that informed decision that some people may make to have a lot of sex with a lot of partners. And that's, and that, but that is a choice that people can make. And so I always, I always try to educate healthcare professionals to recognize that there isn't some moral, morally proper way that people should behave in terms of sex and sexuality. You have to be prepared to hear the truth that your patients may be having a lot of sex with a lot of different people. And that's not a bad thing. It's just, it just is. So where I would come back to where you said, you know, where I, where we had our little discussion <laughs> around, you know, the same, like, just like everybody else, where I will agree with that statement is that everyone has the choice, period, full stop, the end. Everyone, whether we are disabled or not, has a choice to do whatever we choose to do. And whether that, that's a good choice or a bad choice, it's a choice that we made. Absolutely. I had seen something on your Twitter feed a couple days ago, and it, it made me smile. And it was something to the effect of, look, guys, when I do porn, and in parentheses, like, and we all know it's going to eventually happen. My porn <laughs> name is going to be, and I forget what the porn name was, but I really loved name, it. I'll just say it because it's going to change, surely. It, 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 I was using the grade 7 and grade 8 kind of schematic of porn, so your first pet and your first street. <laughs> so surprisingly, my porn name would be Flash Wellington. Wow. And see, mine would be Muffin Britain. If that were, like, isn't that horrible? That's like the worst porn name ever. It sounds very repressed and British. Yeah, actually, though, if, <laughs> you know, when I, when I start to do it, what I want to do, my, my, the porn name that I want to use is my middle name, which is Sean. The first street that I lived on, Wellington. So Sean Wellington, I mean, it sounds nice. It has a classy ring to it. And also, you know, with the beef Wellington kind of imagery, it's also got like a meaty <laughs> kind of imagery to it. I, I say that as a about that until right now. Yeah. yeah, it's got like a beefy kind of vibe to it. So yeah, I think that would be a great porn name. I totally agree. <laughs> I really appreciate you taking the time to be on M-Dash. This has been amazing. It was and so been... fun. And I feel like we could have so many more discussions about all these. <laughs> Well, and you, this was fabulous. I really appreciate it. I hope listeners will tune in to your podcast, Disability After Dark, available on iTunes and also on uh, your links to it on your website. And they can email me at andrew and com, and I will send them like their own copy of whatever episode they need because I understand sometimes the internet's hard to do things. And so I'm happy to send it out because I really think that this the topic of sexuality and disability is so sorely needed. And actually, funnily enough, people have come to me and said, oh, we've heard your podcast. We want to make one similar. Can you help us? And so I think that's really kind of great because to know that my little show that I didn't think was really anything is now kind of going to be a thing. So like people want, people are using that as an anchor to like make their own content. I think that's great. Well, and I, I love I love your podcast. I hope listeners will tune into your podcast. And also, if people are looking for a disability and sexuality advocate or educator or consultant, I hope they will reach out to you, check out your website. Uh, the website will be listed in the show notes, and folks can hire you 
And also, I understand they can support you. Isn't there a link that people can support you at? Yes, there is. For Disability After Dark, I have a Patreon page. So if they go to nice. patreon.com slash Andrew Gerza, they can, they can pledge to the show. And that helps me do things like get transcriptions, which I'm still working on because they're super, super expensive, unfortunately. Things like podcast subscriptions, things like paying paying guests when I can. I want to work on that because it's hard to come on a show, any show, and, you know, but especially a show about sex and be asked about, tell me about your personal life to just tell the whole world. So (laughs) I want to find a a way to compensate them for their time. And so I want to find it, even even if it's like two or three bucks here and there, at least to know that they were given something at the end for telling that embarrassing, like disability sex story. I want to be like, I value you. Here's a, here's something. That's awesome. Well, I hope that people will visit you um, on, online and support your work. And I look forward to staying in touch. It was such a pleasure. Thank you so much, Kimberly. Thanks, Andrew.